0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we just sort of finished our grudge match. Brian, how did you feel?
1: I felt like they were some of the longest, swingiest, (laughs) brain-drainiest matchups of Magic I have played in quite some time. Of course, we are talking about the matchup that we see as kind of the linchpin of standard, Azorius Control versus Teamer Reclamation, you and I went and battled, hoping to learn a bunch that we could share with our listeners, and I I felt like I learned a ton. There's so, so many interesting things that came up over the course of our roughly four hours that we streamed to our patrons. Now, granted, that equaled two matches, so that tells you just how draining these games can be, but still, there was just situation after situation that required really deep thought and showed a potential for... Tricky play, smart play, careful play to really shine in the matchup.
0: Yeah, I I mean, we, we played for like three hours, right? We took like a 10 minute break in there. That is
1: true. There were some breaks built in.
0: And I wanted to keep playing. So you were the one that eventually threw in the towel. And I was kind of sad about it because I felt like I was finally making some progress. So now I get to make a bunch of bold claims without any information to back them up.
1: That's the best way to do it. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, it, unless I had like a specific thing I was trying to figure out, then just jamming a matchup forever doesn't feel like it has a ton of return for me. And at that point I was very comfortable with my sideboard plan. I was confident that it was reasonable against what you were doing. I guess what I would have wanted to figure out was like, responses to your adaptations that you had made after we played a few games, but then it's a rabbit hole and it never ends. You got to call it somewhere.
0: Well, yeah, but like I was not done adapting. That's the problem.
1: Is like quarter, your, your adaptation y- time.
0: Yeah. You're like, Oh, I'm good. And I'm like, but, but I still have more to learn here. Like where, where are we going?
1: <laughs> well, you can still learn that on the ladder. If you would like to go battle there, <sighs> maybe there's a local event where you want to go play some more team reclamation.
0: I tried playing this deck on ladder and I kind of hated it. I actually thought that there would be some moment where I would actually just mess up the end step and completely blow a game. And there was there was a time where I could have done something minor and forgot to set the stop. But uh, other than that, I, I kept it tight in that regard. You said that like there was like a, a lot of instances that came up where you felt like you had to do a lot of thinking and... I was mostly trying to keep things moving, which led to me uh, blowing a couple of the games that we played. But so the the premise was that from my end, at least uh, from the person who wanted to learn about teamer reclamation, I felt that if standard would continue on this path for a couple of weeks, the teamer people would be able to adapt to blue eye control and, and, Figure out a way to basically just dominate the matchup because you have the ramp, you have the card drawing, you have the better end game, and Blue White's win condition is effectively a six mana sorcery. That's also blue, you know? So I thought that that would be the case. As it turned out, the three mana Planeswalkers are obviously very good, and since teamer reclamation was a thing, Azorius started adapting Narset. So they kind of got like the first crack at trying to beat the matchup. And I think going forward, I have a list that I like that I think is good. But I think also given how our games played out, if things stand as they are now, Azorius is clearly the favorite.
1: See, I wouldn't go that far. I I think that there was a couple points I want to talk specifically about your decision process in both deck building and sideboarding. But I'm trying to think of the best way to set this up. Maybe it's just better if you talk through your list, your experiences, what you were trying to accomplish with it. And then I interject with what I saw on your side and we can take it from there. Because I I just, I don't know that I agree with that assessment. I think the matchup remains very, very close. And also there is a sideboard plan. You had a few sideboard plans you threw at me. I thought they were interesting, but there was one that I was afraid of that you never utilized. And I definitely want to talk about that too. What was that one? just getting small and playing this almost fish type game. A lot of people like robber of the rich in that role. Some like yep. Legion war boss. I, I think robber is the way to go in my preparation and thinking about how I was going to approach the matchup. That kind of setup was the one that gave me fits in terms of how I could configure in postboard games. I ultimately thought I found a plan that I liked if you went that route, but it involved sideboarding between 11 and 13 cards which isn't necessarily proof that it's a bad plan. It just shows that in order to win those matches, I felt like I had to adapt much harder. Whereas our natural game plans, I think I can just hold pace with what you're getting up to in a lot of instances, which you wouldn't expect at first glance. Like you said, it seems like Team Erect should have the tools to go over the top, but you just have these huge swingy turns as blue-white and you only have to protect a key permanent. And what it came down to over and over and over was despite all these quote unquote haymakers that you had in your deck. There was only four I ever had to worry about. And it was just the explosions. And if I could play my entire game around holding a veto for your explosion, I generally felt pretty comfortable.
0: Right. And you, you played the fourth veto, which came up a lot. And I started with like a normal list and you started with a list that was like, all right, well, I'm going to add in more cards for this deck.
1: So, so I, I, I was off two cards from Zach Allen's winning list that he played in the most recent Open. I think one was a veto, and one was possibly the whirlwind, whirlwind dismissal. So he it's not one, like I went one real far. He had the dismissal.
0: I think he had one. Yeah. Okay.
1: So it's not like I went re- real far, but to your point, the veto matters a lot.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you also just like you know drew a lot of them in the top thirty cards of your deck too. I did. But very fortunate. My list had three expansion explosions, which is one fewer than what most lists are playing. I mean, like some people are shaving on them, but with like 4 Thaust's Intervention, a bunch of card drawing, I felt like I had enough to use my mana on and then I would just need to find an explosion late. But then, yeah, when you're playing against people with 4 Dovin's Vetoes, then that's not really like a, a real plan that you can go with. So I thought that I could also just, probably outdraw you if if things were going well and then I could just go explosion you use your veto and then I use the other one and it's, it's just fine you know but the games ended up going longer than that I was not able to pull very far ahead very early which would allow me to do that and part of it was because in sideboarding I was like shaving wilderness reclamations and stuff so I ended up you know, changing up my plan a decent amount. Uh, I realized very early on that I needed a win condition that that was not just expansion explosions. So like preferably something that didn't get vetoed, but there, there are things that don't get vetoed, don't get disputed, but then just end up getting eighth gusted too. So mm-hmm. you kind of just have to pick the thing that you're, maybe not necessarily going to lose to or whatever. Like there are definitely situations where I could have just like played Niv-Mizzet turn after turn after turn, like force force you to Aether Gusted every single time and then maybe run away with it. But that also means that I have to counter every single Elspeth Conqueror's death and right. blah, blah, blah. So y- you do need to figure out a plan
1: for sure. Uh, I wish there was like Gaea's Blessing or something like I would crush you then. Yes, you would. That seems very difficult to beat. Playing your side of the matchup, having pl- having played some team of Reclamation and facing blue-white opponents. One card that I found to be extremely, extremely important, and it seemed like you had a lower opinion on, because when we played post-board games, you certainly trimmed them, and maybe in some instances had none. Brazen Borrower? Are, are you not a fan of the card in the matchup?
0: I started by shaving one, and then I was just happily cutting them all. There's just like... No good bounce target. It is a threat that you have to counter. It will like trade with a mystical dispute or whatever. But I I don't know. I I thought like it was going to be better at fighting the planeswalkers. But if you play Teferi and I'm like, oh, I have to play my borrower now. You just bounce it and you just you just never jam Narset into a spot where you also can't defend it. So it just it didn't really do anything.
1: That's so interesting. Like just having the threat on turn three, and a lot of our early games, especially in post board scenarios where we have all this counter magic, is just staring at each other across the first five turns while we kind of wait to set up the perfect first move. It's got some element of whoever blinks first. Can fall behind, but also because you have all the sufficient counter magic like Mystical Dispute that doesn't really apply. It's just about who puts together the well-crafted hand first and can make the play that they believe will be successful. And I I think that sometimes Brazen borrower can do a good job throwing a wrench in that approach because you just don't care about it all that much. It's weird to play disposable cards, but the pressure does add up. It forces you to act at some point, right?
0: And then maybe right. I can exploit that. The problem that I had with the first version was that I didn't have any sort of like divination or like hard card drawing type of thing. So like Thassa's Intervention can do that, but it's also fairly important to just have as a spell a lot of the time. And it's also just a very prime mystical dispute target. So. Basically, what would happen was like I would have this borrower and I would not have a ton of resources. And then I would just be like choked on mana, not be able to really do anything. You had a couple of Chemistors Insights in your deck. You had the Narsids, the Teferis. Oh, okay. Well, you you drew a decent
1: amount. That's the change I made from Zach's main deck was minus one Chemistors Insight plus one, I think, Glass Casket. Okay. in the main and then sideboard I added a second veto and cut a banishing light and those are the two cards I changed sure
0: yeah so I was just like borrower is not really doing anything like I I can try and set up this fish game but I don't think that that is what this deck should be trying to do based on the fact that it has like growth spiral and wilderness reclamation and Mm. these, these big x spells right it's like I think I am a favorite if I get to just Sculpt my mana base, draw a bunch of cards, and then have more mana to win counter wars, blank your disputes, all that sort of stuff. And I agree that having something like Borrower does allow you to play multiple game plans, which is usually pretty good. But I just don't think that Borrower is the card I want. And for the third match, I uh, that I had queued up, I had uh, like the normal post board configuration, but then I was going to try War Boss and Robber the Rich. And I th- yeah. In, in the post-board games, there are so many situations where I'm just like, I just want a free way to ping these Planeswalkers, right? Because I kept having to like yeah. explosion your Teferi on one or your Narsid on three or whatever. And I think that Warboss would do a good job of doing that. Whereas Borrower, it's like a little bit more tricky, especially in the face of Teferi.
1: That's a really good point. Like I said, there was a ton of time too, when I was just narrating from my side and I would point to situations where I was like, okay, if... Jerry has Robber in his deck at this point. It's such a huge blowout for us. We've set up board states around the idea that he can't really punish us with a creature-based threat. The haste, I think, is a really, really big get and can really change how you play the matchup. Like you said, it's it's the Planeswalkers. And in post-board configurations, you're not keeping in Storm's Wrath. It doesn't make any sense to. And if you were, I wouldn't expose my Planeswalkers to it. It's just not going to happen. Once I know you don't have it, I can play with my Planeswalkers more aggressively, which is nice. But if you come back to a different way to punish that like robber the rich or even legion war boss then i have to be incentivized to play a little bit more carefully again so it's it's this really intricate dance that revolves around what your opponent is doing and i think one of the biggest edge that teamer has in the matchup is the hidden information edge because what you are doing on your side affects my overall game plan so much more than what i'm doing on my side affects your game plan
0: yes yeah, you, you definitely have to react to me because I'm the one that can do the scary stuff. Yes. And I think that there were a lot of situations, like I think most of the games played out this way, actually, except for like the one game where I was kind of like stuck on lands for a little bit, where like I would get ahead on mana and you would have to play super cautiously and then I just like couldn't punish you. And a lot of the, the reason for that, at least in the first set we played, was that I didn't have chemistry's insight. And then in... The, the second set of matches, I had, like, two Insights. I think I was, like, boarding up to three. Like, I, I mm-hmm. was planning on playing, like, two main in one board or something.
1: It felt and, like you had a million.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they chain into each other and had, like, interventions and all the cantrips and everything. And, yeah, I mean, like, I, I would maybe spiral, maybe not, but, like, play an Insight on, on four, and you would be forced to mystical dispute it just because you needed to spend that card, you know? You can't just sit there while I'm drawing cards and building my mana base and everything. And I think that is the type of thing that is going to allow Team Erect to get enough resources to actually punish you on those turns. And then there's one of the last games, maybe the last game that we played where I was super far ahead and had basically like all the options. And then just like three turns later, you had a Dream Trawler and a Narset in play when I had a bunch of counter spells in my hand. I'm just like, yeah, I blew this like very, very badly.
1: I don't remember. Was that the game where you had a double mountain draw?
0: think that was a different game
1: okay there was one spot where like i was able to leverage that inefficiency really hard to set up a really key mid-game turn i don't know if it's the same one but yeah there's so many interesting dynamics and you mentioned like you going to chemistry's insight and me being forced to burn resources on it that decision felt so contextual every time and it was correct until it wasn't and it was very clearly incorrect at that point like you have to fight over their ability to generate cards because if they just have all these resources, they will pull so far ahead. So you're in that battle in the early game and then you reach a break point where you just say to yourself, okay, I can't win on this axis anymore and I have to let you just resculpt your hand and I have to figure out how I'm going to resculpt my hand to keep pace with you. And one of the things that makes it really challenging to play from the blue-white side is that the value of your cards is so contextual based on everything, everything, number of cards in your hand, how much mana you have, what I'm able to do. And I had to reevaluate like, okay, two turns ago, this wilderness reclamation was game breaking. Now I don't care about it anymore. And I have to let it resolve in this spot because now I have to shift my priority to caring about this thing. And it's a really good study in the classic control player mantra of focusing on what matters because what matters in this matchup, I think changes on a turn-to-turn basis, and it can be really challenging to identify. There was another game, for instance, where I had the option to burn a Dovin's Veto on your Wilderness Reclamation and chose not to, and I think I fought over it with an Ether Gust, just wanting to save the Veto for like a more impactful spot. But then the way the game played out, it very much turned that I should have just spent the Veto because Wilderness Reclamation was the most important card given how our hands were set up and in a bunch of other spots, it wouldn't have been, but like I had no real way to play through it anymore. And it really constrained my options. I ultimately won the game many, many turns later, but it involves a bunch of things breaking my way after I had made what I thought was a pretty crucial mistake.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that was one of the games where I was just like, all right, I I feel like I can't lose. Like my, my hand is just rolled up and then I just end up losing like a million turns later. And it's like, part of that was because I just didn't have win conditions that could get through Dovin's Veto.
1: Yeah. So in the second set of games we played, you did move to Hydroid Crisis. How did you feel about that in the deck?
0: I thought it was fine because it was another thing that could just allow me to spend my mana to get some extra resources and it was this thing that you had to deal with. So I was, I was off a borrower at that point. So it kind of like turned on your glass caskets. Like Uro comes into play maybe on like turn 10 or something. And then you can casket that or whatever. So like, I, I don't really like giving you casket targets if I just have very few, you know, like if I had war boss or borrower in addition to it, it would actually be good.
1: Right. Yeah. Tax it a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then, I was just like, yeah, there's like nothing he can do to stop this, right? I can just like jam this thing for six or whatever, draw some cards. And then like one of the games I got whirlwind denial. And I'm just like, well, this is dumb.
1: Yeah, that card was silly in a bunch of spots. And granted, like you need things to line up pretty well, but it's fail state is also fine too. It wouldn't surprise me to see some number of these creep into main decks because it's just a fine counterspell in the early game. And then the blowout potential is really there. As long as this matchup is what matters, then I, I think it's an important pickup. Another feature of your list too, and one of the reasons why initially I wasn't boarding in whirlwind denial, certainly once you had crisis, it was a no brainer, but the thing that had me convinced there was something I should look into was blast zone. Were you playing an extra blast zone? Did you have two or three copies? I do. And stock is generally one copy. Is that correct?
0: Uh, stock is pretty close to zero. Okay. I mean, it was huge
1: in our, in our games.
0: It, it did matter, but it was also, like, super slow. Obviously, if I had Reclamation, then the mana's kind of trivial or whatever. It, it probably, like, put you in some spots where you couldn't develop as you would have wanted to because I can just take out two things with it. I couldn't really see that from my side, obviously, but right. I think a, a better way to go about it rather than just trying to answer all of your stuff is do things like play Legion War Boss and just probably not mess with Blast Zone at all.
1: Okay, uh, actually, I'm looking at the world list right now. There are zero blast zones across the four people playing tomb yeah. reclamation. So that yeah, was... I mean,
0: it, it's a thing that I started seeing like within the last week or whatever. But it's right. usually in small copies, and the initial list d- didn't have any. So
1: it was extremely awkward to play against from my side. There were a bunch of spots where like I had an Elspeth Conqueror's death coming down, or you know, I, I like you said, I have all these plays rolled up but I can't make any of them because I know that Blast Zone is there. And a lot of times it was second Dream Trawler, or it was just uh, another three-mana Planeswalker that I could have dispensed. And just the existence of Blast Zone was shutting off a lot of those options. So I understand its effect might not be immediately apparent, but the latent effect was tremendous just from my side.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly nice where If you are kind of like locking me out with a Narset or a Teferi or something, this is just a thing that I can draw. And even if I don't necessarily need it, it's just a land. And you basically want to make every single land drop you can anyway. So it is pretty low opportunity cost. And I was going a little bit harder on it than I thought was really reasonable. And that's because of this matchup specifically. I mean, it's like also
1: finding it's mono red, but whatever.
0: And... I don't, I don't think I should lean on it, but it is there if you want to play like one or two copies.
1: Did you still have 27 lands with the Blast Zones or did you up your land count?
0: The first set, I had 28 land with two Blast Zone and two Vantress. And yes, there were games where I was activating Vantress a lot, but that's never a winning position. And the reason I'm activating Vantress is because I just have nothing, right? Right. And that's just not what I want to do. So I, I think... Like, two Vantress is just ridiculous. You should just play Chemister's Insight or even, like, escape the wilds if you want, like, this big burst type of thing.
1: When you say ridiculous, I mean, would you, would you go as far as passing on it? Because it's, its opportunity cost is extremely low. Even if it's only good from positions where you're behind, it, it well, seems like it still merits a slot.
0: It's not that low because, like, you have some Fable passages and you have some duels, but you don't have a lot. And if you have, like, Temple into Vantress, that can definitely screw you over. And... Yeah. It also means that you have to play like fewer Fabled Passage, fewer basics. That makes Uro worse, you know, so it is it's not free. I think once you have like 28 land or whatever, it is fairly low opportunity cost. But I would also just kind of rather play, you know, 27 and some ops or whatever.
1: Hmm. That's interesting.
0: Any game you activate Vantress, I don't think you're supposed to win that game
1: the exception being when you have like a wilderness reclamation and you're just looking for your, like you've spent a bunch of resources establishing wilderness reclamation and now you just need any kind of payoff and it's pretty low cost to go get it at that point.
0: I don't know. I think at that point it's like, you don't really have any resources you're fighting over this reclamation. I would just like, let them have it and keep an extra counter spell, you know?
1: Okay. Certainly if you have access to something like Chemisters insight, you can rebuild resources in that fashion. Traditionalist, not doing don't that think, stuff. I don't think you can win without chemistry's insight. So that is in defiance of a lot of success for this archetype over the past few weeks, which well, almost su- nobody playing chemistry's insight.
0: Success until blue white actually got really popular and started winning and started playing Narset. You know, okay. Now you don't but see look, them. W- now you
1: don't see them winning very much at all. One of the reasons we did this matchup is because it is hotly, hotly contested. I have seen people take hard stances both ways that they are hard favored in the matchup. So there are team erect players out there who believe they just stomp blue white and they're not doing it with chemistry's insight. They're doing it with traditional builds now.
0: And they're doing it against people who are not you and who are not Zach Allen and possibly people who do not have Narset in their deck, you know, like this, this is why we do this is because we want to find the true matchup, right? Like you play like an actual good version of blue, white that is somewhat cognizant that I exist. I play a version of team erect that is cognizant that you exist and we see what happens, what the best plan is. We see who's actually favored and me as the team erect player coming in saying that, I think that there is definitely a way for me to build this deck to just dominate you, and I'm saying I feel like I'm at a disadvantage. It says a lot.
1: That's the it truth. Definitely does.
0: That is the yeah. truth. There are things that I can do. Chemist's insight certainly helps. Something like Legion War Boss would certainly help. Maybe Hydro Crisis is the answer. Maybe it's you know the Gadwick that people are playing. I don't think that that's very good, but you know there are definitely more things that I can do to get it closer. I just need to find like a good way to actually be
1: able to win the game through veto and like through all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, So what is the ultimate takeaway? Do you feel like you have a list now that you're comfortable with that can still hang because we're doing this in a very small vacuum. We're trying to find the best way to go about this matchup. Kind of, I mean, we didn't go full bore and totally throw away the typical constraints of deck construction Although I talked about it for a second. There was a 27 land version I wanted to run against you. And I didn't.
0: <laughs> well, like, like I said, uh, I, I mostly started with like a stockish list. So,
1: right. Yeah, same. And th- there's, there's big swings you can make towards these matchups, but ultimately you have to be cognizant of the rest of the format. So did you find a way forward for this deck to get an advantage in this archetype? It sounds like it's just this small ball package that, like I said, I was very afraid of from your side.
0: Well, I don't think you can go full small ball. I think you just play the normal insight stuff, except you have things like war boss to throw a wrench into things.
1: And specifically you do like war boss over opera of the rich.
0: I think so just because it seems more impactful even later. Okay. And also like with the way that I want to do things, like, I don't know, I don't really want to be hell bent, but obviously I could see situations where I just take all your sweet cards and like beat you to death with them. It's like, Probably pretty reasonable, but I don't
1: know. Yeah, there's also the brazen borrower rogue synergy, but you said you were unimpressed with that card, so it makes sense well, that you get further away.
0: I am I am unimpressed with trying to set up big mana base plus wilderness reclamation plus payoff spell plus protection when I have this random 3-1 and no card drawing, right? Like you just you don't have enough resources over the course of the game to actually make that happen. So I was like, well, I'm just going to cut this three one. And then it was like, well, no, actually I need chemistors insight to just make sure I have a bunch of resources. And then at that point, having an additional threat seems fine. As long as it's an impactful one, brazen borrow did not seem impactful. Crasis at least draws me cards. And then I do think that one of the red creatures would be good, certainly better than Borrower is. And once I'm at that point, it's like the, if I have like three war bosses, or for Robber of the Rich, playing a couple Brazen Borrowers on top of that, I think, complements it pretty well.
1: Okay. You mentioned having to try and set up basically all of these competing interests at the same time, how difficult that would be without the assistance of Chemistry's Insight, trying to do Wilderness Reclamation explosion stuff and this beatdown plan against Blue White. My initial plans were... Trimming those big packages. I was getting away from Wilderness Reclamation and getting away from Expansion Explosion and Thassa's Intervention and all of these cards that could be hard punished by their bevy of cheap counterspells. Do you have any interest in going down that route or are you just supposed to maintain your dominance? Like you said, theoretically, there should be a place where Wilderness Reclamation should go over the top of everything Blue White is doing. Is it just a little bit of the fear to abandon that approach to the matchup?
0: Ooh, I'm looking through Gatherer or Scryfall, rather. And Faye of Wishes. Do you love this card? That could get anything. I do love that card. It's also four mana sorcery. Four mana sorcery that does nothing. Um, The first plan I had was going down to two wilderness reclamations because I was just like, this is probably going to die. It's probably not going to resolve. It's a four mana sorcery. And then the more I played the games, the more I realized that The spots where I'm actually able to get ahead are when I'm able to maybe do something on your end step on tap, play reclamation, force it through, and then pass the turn with open mana and hopefully have like card drawing plus counterspell to defend against whatever you do. I thought that was my best chance. So then I started keeping in three and then I think one of the games I kept in all four, maybe. Mm. It's interesting. My
1: instinct was that plan would not work, but I don't know. I mean, think
0: of how many times I've resolved reclamation against you. Right. And like. It it did get scary in a lot of those situations. I just didn't have the follow-up.
1: I also felt like, and this wasn't every time. Certainly there were times where like a wilderness reclamation entered the battlefield. And I remember just saying like, okay, do your worst. You get your shot now. I skated through some of those situations, but there's a bunch of other times too, where I would see your reclamation and I would say, okay, I don't care about that card anymore. And that points to me, like maybe this isn't the route you want to go down. And, And both exist. So there's certainly arguments pulling me in the other direction too. But the fact that that scenario came up a few times and it just wasn't at all impactful has to give you a little bit of pause when you're making it the basis of your plan in post board games.
0: Well, that was it was the basis of my plan given the stuff I had, right? Right, 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 right. So right. when I actually have chemist's insight, I think reclamation is a lot scarier. And yeah, you're talking about situations where you're just like, oh, I actually don't care about the reclamation because I have Adobin's veto or two or whatever for whatever he tries to do. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the problem with my deck, right? That's what I'm trying to fix is I have to make it so those things are actually scary for you. Right. Okay. And that's kind of what I was trying good, to do with crisis, theory. And then I just got stifled and it was like, uh, what the hell? God damn it. <laughs> I just can't, <laughs> I can't find anything that works.
1: You know, I love me a stifle. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about blue white is the tools are really good. And if you build your deck properly and you adapt to the format, you will find some ways forward. A lot of people have been asking me about like splashes for Azorius control. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. What am I, what am I trying to do? What do I need to clean up? I don't understand what the issue is, but I'm trying to get this edge.
0: So Azorius is the best deck currently, and you have answers to everything, why do you need a splash? Like people were talking about like, oh, you know, splash thoughtsies to beat Reclamation. And now I'm just like, why? Why? It doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, it feels like you're just introducing a weakness to your deck at that point, because certainly now your mana base is painful and mono red gets back a bunch of the percentage that I think it has lost. Like I feel very comfortable on the blue-white side against mono red. And when you're not getting punished by the aggro deck as the control deck, uh, things are pretty good for you. now. If people start doing adaptations and shifting more towards these two matchups, then Mono Red should get another chance to shine. I don't know if that's where the metagame is at right now. If you were to ask me a forecast going into this weekend's events, I would say Mono Red should be trending down. We just got Worlds decks. Granted, these are very laggy. Like These were submitted probably eight or nine days ago at this point. I don't know the exact date they were put forth. Uh, So maybe we shouldn't be looking towards them for information. But at the same time, the general public will. And the fact that Mono Red did tie for the most representation amongst some very strong players will certainly inspire people to give the deck another look. But my instinct was going into this week, Mono Red should be going way, way down in popularity.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. Or at least they need to figure out a way to deal with blue-white control. I don't know. Just I mean like what what is blue white bad against? Like you said it has basically all the answers. It is actually really
1: good. So what do? Uh it's really bad against improper play. It's I mean you have to play perfectly in a bunch of spots and your deck doesn't really bail you out of tough situations and you have to manage your resources really well. Like there's tons of people who will tell you that the blue green ramp decks are favored. And again, I think like you look at these on paper and you should believe fundamentally they should have some advantage. I don't think it always plays out that way though, especially as decks moved more towards the finale of devastation end game. The version of ramp I was scared of on the blue white side was the Thassa focused version because they manage your dream trawlers really well. And Asian of treachery actually can go over the top of what you're doing in some setups. Although granted, often sideboard a lot of those out, but Thassa plus all of your value generating creatures and as a way to control Dream Trawler, really, really meaningful card. And now that that plan has mostly fallen to the wayside, I really don't feel, I, I don't fear blue green ramp at this point either.
0: Yeah, I mean, they would have to have an end game that is actually scary to you, but you have the tools to actually stop everything. So I don't know, maybe that's just another situation where it's like you have to, Figure out a way to beat them that does not
1: involve just running headfirst into Dobin's Veto. Or Ethergust, And that's the thing is Aethergust covers a lot of space. So like, okay, what's immune to Aethergust? Are you supposed to go find a mono black deck with a good matchup? I, it's just too weak against everything else. So you can't really go that route either. This deck presents a lot of problems. I was so pleased with the play of it. Have been very pleased with the play of it throughout. We see world's competitors continuing, continuing to adapt it. Andre and PV both playing only one Dream Trawler and going to Archon, more copies of that card. And that was actually my plan. If you did go small ball, I was going to board out my Dream Trawlers and use Archon instead as my okay. setup. And the, the problem then is you need to keep your enchantment count high enough, which is challenging because you don't want Birth of Miletus in your deck for the most part. And you're just like Omen of the Sea at that point. And I can bring in Banishing Light to hedge a little bit, even though I'm not crazy about that card in the matchup. So I think that plan might require a little bit of reconfiguration. Like you might have to think about ways to maximize that. And I would have to look at PV and Andre's list and what they're doing in post-sideboard games to see how they dealt with that. But that's an interesting angle to take. And I think getting a little leaner does a good job when... People have shifted to this more aggressive approach to tackling blue-white.
0: Yeah, it's still still going through Scryfall here. I don't know. Like there's there's some interesting planeswalkers, like uh something like Tomio. You know, I talked about Gaze Blessing, it's basically just like I can I can draw my deck. The problem is I just can't actually get a win condition to resolve or stick. Right. And Tomio, if I get to slip one in, could put me over the Dobin's veto count, but still, like, kind of iffy. I mean, like, any Tomio is basically like an additional explosion, right? Right. At least one, if not multiple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would assume, like, basically, I assume all of my stuff is going to die as soon as I play it. Sure. If you care. But yeah, and then like a yeah, lot. That's of these, probably a safe assumption. A lot of these things, I mean. Niv-Mizzet, Shifting Ceratops, Chandra, Awakened of Inferno, all these uncounterable cards that just get Aether-Gusted. I did kind of want to try a situation or a plan where, you know, I do just jam Aether-Gustable things over and over and over again and see if I can actually just get one to stick and have it kill you and see if that's any good, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's... It's it's a big struggle, and all these cards which seem like they should be set up to punish the deck that is built around counter spells, you mentioned six mana Chandra, Niv-Mizzet, they still have these weaknesses. They have huge weaknesses to Aethergust, and then if it does resolve, Elspeth Conquers death somehow cleans it up. So you have answers to just about everything at this point. It's just about rationing those answers, putting the right ones in your deck to begin with. Yeah, having all
0: the uncounterable
1: cards... Just
0: be green or red, and then get aether gusted is like what? What the hell?
1: Got him. I don't just, under, just I don't how underst- we drew it up as blue mages.
0: I don't understand. One of the cards that does seem good that could be actually pretty threatening is improbable alliance.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, that was a big thing in these team erect decks. I know uh, Emma and Autumn use that to great effect in pre Theros team erect decks. So maybe it's worth exploring that one again.
0: I mean, that's another thing that gets gusted, and you can bounce it with Teferi, and Narsa kind of makes it awkward, right? But like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for things that just ping down your Planeswalkers, and going wide with this one enchantment that makes a bunch of fairies seems pretty good.
1: Yeah, I could buy that. It does require a little setup, but if you build around it, I it wouldn't surprise me if you could maximize that card.
0: Yeah, I'd have to play Opt, and I wanted to play Chemister's Insight anyway. And then I'm already playing a bunch of Mystical Disputes, just like you. So you know we can have these pretty reasonable fights early on, and I could probably stick one.
1: I love the classic trope of going to a two mana threat as a way to crack open these. I don't want to quite call this a control mirror, but there's certainly elements of that where both players have access to a bunch of counter magic in post board games.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it it is. I I think that these games are super interesting. They just did take a long time. And I don't know, I I probably could have made that a lot easier by just like conceding in some spots, even though I wasn't really dead.
1: Uh, Yeah, I had the same experience where there was a few times when I creeped towards that concede button, but ultimately thought I should play to the small amount of outs.
0: Yeah, I guess next time we should just be more cognizant of that and just try to get reps in. Because at that point, it's like... So I did learn that okay, I actually have problems killing you. There are these games where I get super far ahead and then just end up losing anyway. I need to solve that problem. But like once I figure that out, we don't need to play those games anymore, right? Right. It's like we we already did the important stuff. And then if my deck is set up to be able to kill you and capitalize on that, then cool. And if it's not, well, I still have this problem to solve.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me.
0: See, I think I just need more threats overall and I need to make it so you can't just, Keep two mana Dovin's Veto up and have it completely brick all the stuff that I can do.
1: Agree. I fear your threats. Get more of them into your deck.
0: Yes. Do you think that we should follow
1: up on this at all? In what way? Do we need a a second set of games just to test some of these theories out? I think so. I mean, like I said, I I never
0: got to finish my side of things. I was I was gonna try and like find someone or play on ladder or try and get you to do it again, but I just I don't know. I'm like writing an article today and in the middle of moving and all this stuff, so I didn't really have time to set that up.
1: Yeah, we can we can do this again. We'll set up wh- one of the reasons why we cut it a little bit short is we had some technological issues. We would we had hoped to live stream this to all of our patrons. Unfortunately, we ran into a. Uh, stream limit in Discord. You can only stream to 10 people at a time. That doesn't seem at all useful to me. Nope. Um, so we, we weren't able to share with as many people. We did get VODs up for all of our patrons. So once we have that technolo- technological hiccup figured out, I am down to go back, explore this matchup a little bit more. Uh, I also want to look at some changes on my side. Should I get into the deck construction principles over on the Azoria side? Things that I... Was really high on sideboard plans. You want to hear about all that good stuff? What if I play Thirst for Meaning and Arclight Phoenix? I had Thirst for Meaning in my first builds of Team Rec, and I liked it a lot, and nobody else did. Arclight <laughs> Phoenix is... You've gone too far. But... <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Uh, yes. I,
0: I, had, I had Thirst in the one that I played in the PTQ, and I played a couple uh, Omens, but Omen of the Sea is so bad in this deck.
1: That's interesting. So... Again, looking at the decks submitted for Worlds, it looks like we are mostly dealing with a split among players. Let me verify that before I say. Well, it's weird. Okay, so Jean-Emmanuel Duprat has just opt, four opt. Autumn has a split. Kvartek has four Omen of the Sea and Leverado has three Omen of the Sea, two opt. So there is no consensus whatsoever on which of these cards you're supposed to be playing.
0: I'm also not 100% sold on opt. I think it is better than Omen. Omen is just so mana intensive, and you can't afford to play multiples of that card if you're expecting any amount of mono red. I just don't think it's reasonable.
1: That's fair. One of the things I'll say about our matchup is that every point of mana felt like a million mana. Like every expenditure of one mana was so critical, so important. And I think that's a consequence of, like, very mystical dispute-heavy games. Yes. It's something you really have to account for in your planning. I talked a bit about the Azorius control side of things with Zach Allen before we played. Dude, and and you got help? Oh, of course I got help. Scum! I'm not foolish enough to think I have all the answers. One of the things I do well in Magic is source information and talk to people who are smarter than me and listen to what they have to say. And when it comes to this deck, I am very willing to listen to what Zach Allen has to say. We've also agreed on a bunch of things along the way, which helps, but I I think he's done a lot to move the archetype forward. Stuff like Chemister's Insight is just big brain. Nobody was doing that before he did it in his list. Uh, I see the value in it for sure. But his sideboard plan, I, I disagreed with. He liked leaving in Shatter's in the matchup as opposed to leaving in glass casket thinking that like it's better to account for ambusher. I saw you had a shatter in one of the games and I was like, huh? I did. And I was like, this is garbage and it's not staying in my deck anymore. And the shatters left and I went to glass casket instead. And it it just felt way better. Even in a world where I was concerned about Nypack ambusher, because I didn't know your deck list when we started playing. So I, I had no clue what your sideboard plan was going to be. I posted it in the thing. I didn't look. I didn't want to cheat, Gerald.
0: Yeah, you you only you only added Dovin's vetoes and talked to the man, the myth, the legend, Zach Allen. You I know? added a Dovin's veto. That's good. a he
1: Dovin's do. veto, which That's I would one hundred percent do. No, I would one hundred percent do that if I was playing a tournament. It was the deck I would have registered in a tournament. It was not at all slanted towards beating you. I was completely fair and reasonable. Oh, yeah, in the I would, changes I, I made. would
0: definitely play four mystical disputes main deck if I were going to a tournament this weekend.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> <Universal>. <laughs> but the point I was trying to make is that Shatter was just unplayable because it cost four mana. And even if you were convinced you had to have a spot answer to Nightpack Ambusher, I think it just has to be Banishing Light because every mana is worth a million. And anytime well, you can save a mana, you have to do so.
0: The problem with that is it doesn't clean up the wolf and the wolf then pressures Sure, but you have, you have
1: bounces. You can bounce. You have... I guess in game two and three, you're not going to have walls around, but there there's ways to play through that. And it doesn't matter because you're not going to resolve a shadow of the sky and then leave yourself in a non-vulnerable position afterwards anyway, unless you've like already stuck a Teferi and then it doesn't matter what they're doing on their side anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you stuck Teferi, then their ambusher
1: basically doesn't get to do anything and you right.
0: have it for the bounce on the wolf. and
1: Right. So that was one of the uh, big points of differentiation. And that's what really il- illustrated the principle to me of you need to save mana wherever possible.
0: Well, if you, if you cut Shatter and then I board in war bosses, I kind of like my spot there. Agreed. Cause...
1: And that's the squeeze I was feeling. Okay. Now, I can still play through that card with things like Aether Gust. I, I have options, but my options have gotten slimmer.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying that like if there's a turn where I get to play a war boss and get the 1-1 protected, even if you deal with the thing, I still have the 1-1 around, which is not
1: trivial, you know? I agree. I agree. Each body matters a ton, and if it costs me a Teferi Minus, that often matters a lot, although I had a lot of empty Teferi Minuses just to get the card, which not ideal. I, I would like to address that a little bit more, but like in post-board games, I don't think there's anything you can really do about it. Like You're not bringing in birth of Miletus to account for that. So yeah, uh, I don't know. Something to think about.
0: Yeah, there there were a lot of times where that came up and I was like, God, why don't I have a way to punish this? You know, like I have to then spend a fry on it or something. And if I had war boss, robber, even bone crusher giant or something, I would have felt much better about my life.
1: That was one of the things too, is like there's cards that are very bad and you know, they're very bad. Things like Storm's Wrath, but like the absence of that card entirely from your deck changes dramatically how I can play all of my games. So like are you supposed to keep in one just so I have to respect it and I see it at some point? Now it's different when we're going to play a bunch of matches right? So- yeah,
0: I thought about that with Storm's Wrath too where like there were definitely games where you just ended up with a bunch of stuff in play and if I had this to clear things out but I mean at that point it's like if you have Teferi, Narset and have gotten to use them I don't think my Storm's Wrath is resolving and certainly against Teferi I can't fight it anyway so
1: right no that's a good point
0: but yeah it, it might put the fear in them right and make it so they don't overcommit. and i just don't think you care
1: yeah probably not probably not and even when we played like the games when we were in the dark and i suspected that would be your plan i didn't know authoritatively i was still far more aggressive with my planeswalkers i, I certainly wasn't playing around it at that point anyway
0: right but I mean, like I said, there's really not an opportunity for me to actually punish it
1: either. So, yeah, you have to play some pretty inefficient cards. Things like Scorching Dragonfire, talking about cards you just don't you don't want. These are just not things you can realistically do. So,
0: yeah, Dragonfire is pretty decent because of Annex, just in general. But using that to you know, kill a planeswalker that's already gotten some use is not ideal. I, w- I would be fine with some bone crushers, but it's also not really what I want to be doing. That's why I want something like Warboss that makes a body to pressure it. And also, you know, it's basically like a two for one, right? For super, super cheap. And it's a two for one that is fighting you on an axis that you are probably pretty light on ways to actually deal with. So that's, that's what I would try going forward. And Robert, the rich seems fine, but if, if I play it and it just gets killed, it's like you you get no value from that, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree with your point where it has to be part of a package and Brazen Borrower has to remain part of your plan and you just have to be looking, you have to be much more aggressive. You have to be looking to steal games early with the entire way your deck is configured.
0: Yeah, and I don't really want to do that with my growth spiral deck, so I'll just play some random war bosses and additional threats, make it so you can't hold open veto, but yeah. Uh, from, from your side. Yeah. Talk about blue eye control in general. Like obviously you cut birth of Meletus, you shaved Elspeth Conqueror's death. I would assume you cut shatter entirely, kept all the dream trawlers. That was like, I don't think it like changed the game all that much, but if there was a window where you got to like slip it into play, then it sort of put a clock on me and made it so I couldn't explosion you. Like it kind of put you out of range of that, but doesn't,
1: seem like the ideal threat for the matchup it's not it, it really isn't I, I did shave one dream trawler a few times as well like i said i think the idea of just like going to a bunch of archon in post board games is pretty appealing the problem is like it's vulnerable to fry too and dream yeah. trawler actually can protect against fry but your fries are taxed right it's not like you have the luxury of saving a bunch of them basically they will usually yeah they will kill narset or teferi on site so Maybe that's enough if you're going really hard on Archon, but you do need to reconfigure and make sure you're getting uh, value from the tokens as well, and that's tough. So we'll see if that ultimately becomes a plan they go to. But yeah, you you have my sideboarding plan, right? It's just lose the shatters, trim an Elspeth, trim a Dream Trawler, and get rid of Birth of Miletus as well. And then you just are this crazy control deck with an... A preposterous number of counterspells. I bring in the four Aether Gusts, all four, without a doubt. Uh, The additional Dovin's Vetoes, the Mystical Disputes, and the Whirlwind Denials. It's just a bunch of ways to fight you on the stack. And you have very few cards that you care about from the opposing side, and you have a million answers to all of them. And you are just patient. You think through... A lot of my time was spent thinking of maximum punishes. Like, okay, if I take this plan, what's the worst thing that could happen? Can I recover from that? The answer is usually yes, because you do have something like Elspeth Conquers Death, which if you commit really hard to anything other than a wilderness reclamation, or even if like my, my mistake is to put a lot of resources into sticking a Teferi, well, unless that Teferi is immediately removed by Fry, then I'm going to get to untap an Elspeth Conquers Death and be right back in the driver's seat again. So that's a lot of what I spent my time setting up, just thinking about, okay, is this the spot where I can accept any punishment that could come my way? What's the worst case scenario and how do I rebuild from it? And just the cards present mean that you have tons of options for rebuilding. And I, I don't know that I really have much more to say about card selection. These these are the most powerful cards you can play in blue-white and they do their job very well.
0: Yeah, the, the punishes from my end were basically... Wilderness Reclamation plus multiple spells. I think that was usually what would actually help me in those situations. It was never like, oh, I get to resolve this one specific thing. Like one specific thing is basically never a punish. Yes. So always got to be doing multiple things.
1: Yeah. the, The other card I'll just make a passing note of. I already said my piece whirlwind denial was huge in a bunch of spots and maybe that's being a little bit results oriented but I do think the fail state on this card is good enough that people should probably be playing it in larger numbers because the blowout potential is just huge 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 especially if people are going to go to hydroid crisis having a nice clean answer for that is very good
0: yeah I mean had I known that that card existed I, I could have you know played around it or whatever or certainly built around it but yeah, the, the first time I just, like, jammed and got Denial, I'm just like, ah, this is so gross, you know? It, like, it feels terrible. It it does feel absolutely terrible, and especially since I didn't know it was there and could have done a lot of things differently, you know? It was just like, we both have a bunch of open mana. I could have passed and, like, Chemister's it or whatever, and, but I was just like, oh, I can just, like, play this and have two disputes open. Like, what's the worst that could happen, you know? And then I just get binked with that thing right i'm just like
1: damn it found it found the worst thing that could possibly happen
0: yeah so i it was spots like that where i'm just like yeah i just i lost on the spot you know like i think this game was very competitive or i was even ahead because of all the card drawing i had and
1: yeah found it found the one way i lose so i i talked about on my side the things i feared from you what were the setups you feared from azorius control was there like moments of despair you had in playing the matchups i know there were times where for whatever reason i I guess i would always be like narset reveals you would know two or three cards in my hand and it's just like veto veto absorb does it feel helpless on your side or is there always this window where you're like okay if i can just play to the spot i'll find a way to force through what i need
0: there was there was one game where you had a bunch of stuff and this had to have been when i didn't have insight but i was like using Vantress and, you know, eventually like found a fry or I was looking for like a fry or a blast zone, right. And to take out one of your planeswalkers so I could actually start doing stuff. And I eventually found it. And like those things get through your counter spells for the most part. So yeah, it, it those situations like never really feel helpless until you have like an actual card drawing engine or you know, maybe you narc it into Vito and then you narc it into nurse it or something like then, It actually feels bad in those situations when you like play a dream trawler and still have like two counter spells open. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm dead. But you give, you give the team a wreck deck a lot of time.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. One of the interesting points of Zach's deck that I really like, and I adopted for my list as well. He plays three copies of castle Ardenvale. And I think that is mostly to punish the mirror where it's like the yes. most impactful draw you could have did it ever have any meaningful effect on our games? I mean, I certainly made tokens and like attack with them, but did it ever force you into plays that like, otherwise you wouldn't have been forced to make. I I don't recall any instances of that really.
0: So it, it clocked me a reasonable amount and made it. So I just couldn't sit there and do nothing. Right. But it also made road just do nothing. Basically.
1: That is true. Yes. There was a game I lost, but I switched to a plan where I'm like, okay, I, I maybe can deck him, and that's the only possible way I could win. And it was uh, involving Castle Ardenvale just bricking your Uro for a bunch of turns.
0: Yeah, and I thought Uro was going to be pretty solid. It ended up just not being great because of Castle, where like you can kind of cycle it away somewhat early. You can't really jam it on three because then your opponent can stick a Planeswalker, so you normally have to like wait a turn. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I'll play Uro with Dispute open, but then they're going to be able to play Planeswalker with Dispute. So do I have a good answer to that? You know, so like you said, basically every mana feels like a million in the early game. When I would finally use the Uro and have the consideration of like, well, do I want to bring it back? It's like, well, can I fight this Teferi? Does it even matter because they have Ardenvale in 10 mana? You know, so normally I just ended up doing different stuff with my mana rather than trying to bring it back because ardenvale just bricked it it just meant that it did nothing
1: yeah really think this is a good adaptation from these lists a higher number of castle ardenvale over previously it was certainly leaning towards the castle vantress side like zach's list i had three castle ardenvale one castle vantress very very happy with that split vantress sucks yeah it it just didn't matter
0: it it might be my least favorite card of all time castle vantress
1: (laughs) that is wild that's a bold claim
0: I'm talking about how I want a bunch of like tokens to beat up on your planeswalkers and stuff. Ardenvale just gives you that in the mirror. I mean, I, I would play Ardenvale in my deck if I could.
1: Yeah. Very impactful. Maybe card. I should. I don't think you should. But if you could, then you should. You got to be super careful though, because going back to the principle of every mana is a million, there were a ton of spots where like theoretically I can just sink my last mana into Ardenvale at the end of turn. And then you have the opportunity to punish me. So it really does require a lot of discipline on the blue-white control side. It's not about maximizing your mana. It's about maximizing your mana safely.
0: Uh there were spots where I had like a reclamation or two and I was just like floating all this mana and then passing when you had like insight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you just you couldn't use it. Yep. Just for threat of me doing so and I just had nothing. I just had to go through like minutes of like tapping and sure. not tapping my lands just so you couldn't cast the insight, but it's like it, that matters, you know?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all this stuff matters. Like I pointed out to viewers, there was a point where I had to put full control on because if I didn't, I'd lost the game on the spot. Like you would just know and kill me. So when you're playing on ladder, when you're playing meaningful games of arena, you should be considering those things for sure.
0: Yeah, so I messed this up once and you messed this up once with regards to timing on Aethergust targeting Wilderness Reclamation. Mm-hmm. There was a spot where I chemisters incited with five mana. Well, like basically you you did something on your turn and I, I think I countered it or whatever. And if you had you you had a window to just like aether gust my reclamation if you wanted to put it on top of my deck or something. Okay. Right? And I had five mana and I was like, Well, you know, I'll just chemisters insight. What's the worst that could happen? Right. And then you like gusted my thing. I didn't draw land, you got to resolve a thing, and I just died. Whereas if I just go to end step float five, yeah. I get to play chemistry's insight basically for free. You don't really get a window to gust my reclamation and I don't get to make a land drop, but I get to do what I wanted to do, which was like draw two cards for free, mm-hmm. you know? And then there was also a game where I played a crisis. Uh, I think this might've been a Vantress game actually, because I knew I had a negate gate on top of my deck. I think I got like, crisis negate and i played Crasis for six or something with two mana open and uh wilderness reclamation and then you went to gust it and i had drawn the negate off the crisis and countered it
1: mm. yeah i can't think of like my thinking at the moment but it seems like there's very little upside to letting you have having drawn the card prior to me gusting
0: right i was i was scared of that happening and then once uh i drew the cards i was like oh he doesn't have it you know uh, and then you cast it and I was like, Oh, weird.
1: Yeah. I would have to go back to that moment and see why I would go in that direction. Of course, it, always the most obvious explanation. I did something stupid. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I did play. I did plenty of stupid
1: stuff in the games too. So. Dude, tough matchup. Like it's really, really hard. There were so many things to think about on every single turn that you could very easily get lost in the weeds as you try and figure out the optimal lines. And I'm, I'm sure that's only the tip of the iceberg for things we missed as we played. But it's, it's nice to have that be the defining matchup of standard for a little while. Like, you don't want it to be this way all the time. But to be able to settle into a match where if you're playing against a great player and you know you're going to get something special in return, it's just a good feeling and somewhat rare in modern magic that it's as dependent on the stack as this particular matchup is.
0: Yeah. One, one thing that I will caution is that the games did take a long time, and this was on arena where some things are faster, some things are slower, you know, like obviously the wilderness reclamation turns are a lot slower. Right. But you know, as far as like tapping, untapping, getting your tokens out, stuff like that, like arena does that a lot quicker. Usually be very cautious. If you end up playing these matchups in real life, you are going to need every second of time. Most likely if, if a game is kind of slipping away from you, just likely pack it in. I mean, I mean, Obviously, there are outliers to that sort of situation or whatever, but just be cognizant of the, the round time.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. And the biggest sticking point for me was the stupid castles. Like, you can never use auto tappers as soon as you have your castle in play because it'll mess up everything. So you have to manually yep. tap all your mana, and it is certainly yep. a headache.
0: Yeah, that that was pretty annoying. Another reason to cut Castle ventures from your deck.
1: <laughs> there you go. You just found the secret buff. You get more of your clock back. Yeah, I, I mean it does that with Blast Zone too. So whatever. Right, right. You understand why? It's both. just it's just fl- it's frustrating in the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like come on, Arena. I have seven cards in my hand. I'm going to use my mana to do other stuff this turn. Just, just tap the castle. Right. It's fine. Uh, any any parting shots, parting thoughts.
1: This process has left me frustrated, as I often am. It has left me frustrated with the state of Magic Discourse. The fact that I've had to listen to so many people say, you're a huge favorite. It's a buy for Blue-White. It's a buy for Teamer Reclamation. This is just a good close matchup. It depends a ton on deck construction and play. And I wish we could get back to a place of more nuance in our discussion. There are few buys in Modern Magic. 70-30 is not a buy. And this is miles from... Anything approaching a 70-30, it feels very, very close to me and depends a lot on your build and your plans.
0: Yeah, I, I think Azorius is a natural favorite, and part of it is because of, you know, Team Arec, when it showed up uh, week one, was just playing all the new cards and cut Chemister's Insight, and I was pretty happy about that because I hate Chemister's Insight. It's Same. just, like, slow, clunky, etc. And, yeah, when... Like Azorius Control is a deck, but it was like one of 10 decks that people were trying, right? So it didn't seem super necessary. And now that there are things like mirror matches and Azorius Control, you need to go back to that card. You need to really take a good hard look at what the matchup is about. And I hope that we have shed some light on that. And then once you figure out what the matchup is about, you figure out how to make that shift into your direction. Either like you change the dynamic where you have Chemist's Insight or Legion War Boss, or, you know, maybe even if you had those things, if you had Chemist's Insight, Azorius would still be a favorite. And then it's like, all right, I got to go beat down with Robber the Rich and stuff like that. Like, there are ways to, to switch gears and change the paradigm and everything. So it is never as simple as this deck is a huge favorite or this deck is a buy or whatever, because it is only about the things that matter and there are ways to make it so either those things don't matter or you just play it on different axes. So, yeah, just saying like, uh Zorius has a great control or a great matchup against uh, Team wreck doesn't actually say anything.
1: No, it does not. Anyway,
0: I hope you all enjoyed this. Uh This was certainly fun for me. We did kind of get to the bottom of things. I feel like I hope that... Uh, by Thursday night, Friday night, I will have an updated list for y'all and can actually say with some certainty that it has a reasonable blue-white matchup. But yeah, Zach's, Zach's version of blue-white is good. You don't need to change very much. I think Brian's changes are completely reasonable if you ex- expect a lot of Team Iraq
1: or even mirror matches. Yep, that was my plan. I- I'll also point to you, Gerald. You may want to talk to Jean-Emmanuel Duprat because he seems to have reached a lot of the same conclusions you did down to one Thassa's intervention, two chemisters insight back in the deck. I also like playing main deck mystical dispute and a main deck negate as well. That makes some degree of sense to me if these are the matchups you care about. It has a Legion War boss in the sideboard. So a lot of the same conclusions you were coming to seem to be shared here.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean he's he's a smart dude for sure. I have I have a lot of respect for him and like his process. And he he's also just like a deep thinker. He's not one of the people who is really prone to hyperbole and just saying like, oh, this deck is a favorite, nothing I can do or whatever. Right. Yeah. I it is cool to see someone else coming to a lot of the same conclusions. Uh one thoughts is intervention. I don't know if I can get behind that, but it is entirely possible that it's correct. And maybe he was expecting more blue white, more mirror matches where the cheaper counter spell against the three mana planeswalkers matters a lot more. Yeah, I think so. So legit. Anything else? No
1: question time
0: question time. Every week we solicit the fine folks in our discord for questions. We pick our favorite question arbitrarily, answer that question. And the person whose question we selected gets a fine arena deckless enamel pin, the only place to get it. Uh, so if you want to get in on this action, patreon.com slash arena deckless. Also, you get access to you know various happenings like uh, this grudge match that we just played and decks for what we're going to play each weekend and all sorts of good stuff.
1: Yeah, all kinds of good stuff in the Patreon section of our uh, community. Love sharing that stuff with our patrons and hearing their success stories that come from the decks we share, the tips we give. It's always nice to hear. Feel free to share those anytime, listeners.
0: Dude, Phoenix. People missed you in Phoenix, man. Had a lot of people shout out the podcast. Just Random people walking by giving me high fives. I went outside, said hi to a friend of mine. He took out his earphone. He's like, "That's weird. I'm listening to you right now."
1: <laughs> Good stuff. I always like to hear that.
0: And yeah, I had a had a couple people ask me if you were there. Uh, someone wanted you to sign some uh, flesh bag marauders and the yeah the, the other one. What's the other flesh bag?
1: Oh, uh, plague something. Is it plague something? Nah, it's not,
0: that's not right, but whatever. i okay. will give it to you.
1: Yeah, I'll take it. I take those wins.
0: You're sorely missed. The question we picked this week comes from The Coach, a.k.a. Stu Summers. And Stu asks, why do the data restrictions hurt the community more than help it, and why does Watsi seem to think otherwise? Stu is talking about how Frank Karsten by Order of his Wizards of the Coast overlords is no longer allowed to post every single uh, deck list for constructed GPs, which was pretty cool. And I think people were pretty happy about it. But then uh, people got to use that data to some degree. Frank used that data to talk about like win percentages and who had the best conversion rates and so on and so forth. And Wizards in general has been sort of anti-data where they have limited the amount of information we get from Magic Online. So there used to be like several daily events per day and they would post the 3-1 and 4 deck list from all of them. And since they switched to leagues now, uh, like twice a week for each format, they post a, a bunch of different decks that have gone 5 but it won't submit multiple copies of like the same deck. So say everyone was playing Zach Allen's blue-white deck and if 5 0 30 times and then mono-red 0 once, you would see one blue-white deck, one mono-red deck. So they're, they're doing their part to limit data because they feel like it helps formats get solved quicker. I disagree. Brian,
1: how do you feel? My feelings are complicated, as they are on many topics. I think their goal comes from a place of wanting to enable more creativity and discovery and magic. And I go back to when I was becoming introduced with magic and that feeling of exploration and having to piece things out for myself and understanding every card, it it was special. And it's a feeling that I've spent literally my entire life chasing. Like there has never been such an impactful moment in my, I mean, I would go as far as my actual life as well as my gaming life. And then those first few weeks of just like learning about all the magic cards that existed and all the potential decks I could put together and things being very unsettled and unclear and the discovery space that I had to really play in and enjoy. And it's a really noble thing to want to restore that. And I think that's what this is about. I don't think it's about like protecting themselves. And I don't think it comes from an... A moral place. I, I, I just think they want to ensure someone showing up at FM can do FM type stuff and still have a chance, and the metagame just doesn't get shaken out immediately and distilled to the best possible deck. So that's nice and that's noble. I also think it's impossible, and I think it's in contravention of the way the world actually works. And somehow, some way, people. Are going to get this data. They want this data. This is how we engage with basically all games. It's not magic exclusive. It's Hearthstone, it's Battlegrounds, it's League of Legends, it's Dota. This is what we do as gamers. We analyze things and it's part of the process. And it's something that a lot of us have grown to enjoy because we know we can't go back to that world where we just don't know what's going on anymore. And as much as I want to, no amount of wishing will do that. This feels like some of that wishing and trying to get back to that space. And I just don't think it's plausible at this point. So while I understand their goals and I am not going to sling mud at them for wanting this to be the case, I just don't think it's going to happen. And look, if, if you have a way to Actually, reinstill this sense of exploration. Then I'm all for it. Do it. I-, I want this to happen. I want data to be restricted so we can do that type of stuff again. But I just don't think you do, and I, I don't think anyone does. And that's not how the world works anymore. Basically,
0: you would have to shut down the internet.
1: Yeah, I- that's my read too. Like, there's there's too many sources of data someone's going to go scrape arena. And the other thing too is like wizards giving this to Frank, you know, Frank is going to present a measured, reasonable analysis of this data. He's going to put forth a narrative that moves things forward that shows, Hey, this is the best deck, but look at this deck. And what if this happens? And it's going to be a really thoughtful, well-explored piece. If you don't curate this data and don't put this in the hands of someone who you know will do so. Someone else will step up and take this and maybe a less thoughtful person takes it and spearheads the charge and uses this as a way to rile up the internet to support constant bannings or to just drag wizards for making mistakes. And it just seems like the devil you know is so much better than the devil you don't. And taking this access away from Frank, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. Like I said, I can understand what we're attempting to do here. I think, at least as I see it, this is what we're going for. Maybe I'm completely off base, but while it's a noble goal, I just don't think it's going to happen.
0: I agree that Frank is the ideal candidate to present this data because, like you said, he will put forth an incredibly rationalized and reasoned take, and he will not focus on, you know, the, the sky is falling type of stuff, right? He's looking for, like those data outliers, like, oh, is there a deck that is good against Hogek? If there is, I'm going to highlight the hell out of that, you know, because that is an interesting data point. And that's that's what he's trying to find, you know? It's like, yeah, I, I know that, like, Inverter and the Breach deck won a bunch of matches or whatever. I want to know what else did,
1: you know? Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I, I think that was the focus of Frank's work for the most part. It was moving the metagame forward.
0: Yeah, and... I've, I've said this basically for forever, uh, you know, since they started restricting the data, like I go through all the magic online lists and basically wherever there are deck lists for me to look through, right? If there's some big tournament, I've likely looked through the deck lists and I'm not looking for how many blue-white control decks made top eight. I'm looking for, does this person have a cool idea because I don't necessarily have every single idea. And if I get to take someone else's idea, splice it onto something else that I'm working on, I mean, that's, that's how I've been able to create decks that get to move formats forward. Right. And if you restrict my data to, well, here's a blue-eye control deck, here's a team erect deck, here's a mono-red deck, you don't get to see the rest. You don't get to see the things that are on the cusp, right? Like the 4-1, the 3-1 deck list, and granted the... The preliminaries post those those lists. I don't know why, but also those tournaments are super small. Yes, so you're you're not really getting like a good sample size of things. But yeah, like I don't I don't just want to see the five O's. I want to see the four ones. I want to see things that went three and two, but are novel ideas. You know, I don't want to wait six months for someone to finally five O with it and have it get published or whatever. And I'm sure that that has happened a lot.
1: Yeah, there's also like the single card strategies that get lost to the wayside. Something like Team Erec, where, you know, maybe a week ago someone had Improbable Alliance. They they probably did. Almost certainly someone has been playing that card. And you would have seen that. And when you went to do this series, you would have been like, okay, this is the way forward. Now you had to go through a few more steps till you reach that point. And maybe that's the little tweak that just snowballs the metagame to a different place. You never know.
0: Right. And. There are certainly people out there who would not do that extra step, right? Sure. So they would they'll they'll look at the information that's available to them, and all the information is these are the known decks, and it's like, well, okay, I guess I'll play a known deck. It's never like, well, instead, here are like five decks that are tier two, but like kind of rad. And then someone's like, oh, well, actually, I like this mono black devotion deck better than blue white or teamorec or mono red, so I'm gonna play that even though it's slightly worse, and it just ends up being really good, or maybe mm-hmm. they make a few tweaks to it or whatever, like. I honestly think that restricting data just hurts everything. Like I, I played Hearthstone, not, not like professionally or whatever, but like I, I was fairly competitive, you know, like I was watching streams and consuming content and playing a bunch, like hitting mythic a decent amount of the time. And I was keeping up on trends as far as like what was good in various decks and stuff like that. And a big thing was, was vicious syndicate. And Every week they come out with this metagame report that is data submitted by people, you know, all over the ladder, really. But it's like they break it down by like legend and uh, the top five ranks, top 10 ranks, etc. And you get to look at those numbers and it's like, yes, the best deck last week won 55% of its games. Now it wins 53%. This deck grew in size by a lot and has a 60% win rate against the best deck. And it's like, oh, snap, I'm going to start playing that deck. That is what data does. Data moves it forward, unless you completely blow it and something like Hogak, you know, wins 70% of its matches against everyone and has no weak point, right?
1: Right. One undeniable consequence of more data is that if there is a mistake, it will be very clear. And you get punished much, much harder for mistakes in design.
0: It's already clear.
1: There was like a week where people were convinced that banning bridge from below killed Hogak, right? We wouldn't have that week if we had immediate access to all the matchup results from Magic Online.
0: Uh, I don't know that people were, I don't know, that gung-ho about it. I mean, I guess Watsy was because that's what they did, but.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm mostly being a little bit
0: Regardless, one week, dude. One week. Right. And that's, that. so that's after people playing it. Right, and figuring it out, and then people knew about it. There didn't have to be any data posted for people to know about it. Withholding the data does nothing. If anything, it's like, oh, actually, Affinity has a 60% Hogak matchup. Then people start playing Affinity, right? You don't have the data, so no one starts playing Affinity. They're just like, oh, everyone's saying Hogak has busted, so I guess I play Hogak, or I don't play the tournament because this sounds like garbage.
1: Yeah, that's the really bad result that I think we're trying to avoid. But like you said, it may have this decision probably has little consequence on avoiding those type of scenarios. Right. Because
0: everyone on the internet parrots the same stuff, right? It's information cascades. It's Hogek is busted. Hogek is busted. Hogek is busted. And that's all you hear. There's not even any data for you to look at that says, well, actually maybe these decks are good against it. It just perpetuates, man. You take away the data and all you have is the hive
1: mind, like yelling on Twitter. That's it. That's how I make all my life decisions, by what the hive mind is presently yelling about on Twitter.
0: Dude, I recommend you get some data in your life.
1: <laughs> are you saying this isn't the optimal way to go about things? Twitter says it was. so Well, uh, I don't
0: have any data on it, but right, no, I
1: don't think so. Right. No data to prove me otherwise.
0: <laughs> oh, God. I, if So if my options are play Team erect, Blue, White, or Mono Red, okay, fine, I'll pick one of those options. You give me 10 or 15 options? People will pick more things.
1: Yeah, they want the other thing to work out.
0: Yeah. People make, like, bad decisions all the time.
1: It's a tough problem. I I mean, it's not like... It's, it, the, dude, it's really not. But look, it's not like the era of open information led to better magic. And it's very hard to separate all the other nonsense that was going on from all of this. And that's the whole problem with like extrapolating anything from the last year specifically, because things were in such a bad state. It's like people, people are very upset. And there's a general assumption that people don't work hard enough to solve metagames anymore. And they just cry for bans. And I understand that point. But also, we just went through a period with the worst design magic cards of the last 20 years. And there were a lot of cards that needed to be banned because they were really, really problematic. So these people were right a bunch, and now they've gotten to a new place where maybe they're wrong in calling for bans, and it's really hard to separate how we treated the last year and the design mistakes of that last year to the world we live in now. So we lived in open data era last year. Everything was terrible, and it's really hard to assign the reasons why everything was terrible.
0: Maybe if we had some data that said that oh Blue God. White and Team Rec only win 53% of their matches, people would just not be able to call for bans.
1: Maybe that's true. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone is calling for bans of these two decks, are they? Are people actually doing that? I don't that? know. I hope not. I don't I, know. I'm talking I more just, of the Pioneer, just, Pioneer Modern context.
0: Oh, uh, Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, Pioneer's got some messed up cards. We knew that, though. We we knew that, like, you know, things like Dig, it's like, well, this is, this is going to happen, and then this set happens to have Underworld, Breach, and Thassa's Oracle, which are like clearly combo enablers and very cheap. And it's like, eh, why do these exist? Yeah, man, like there's there's some scary stuff in the set. That probably won't happen uh, in future sets. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, all that
1: jazz, but. Yeah, I, it's hard to know how much contemplation was done of this format. I, I would assume probably very little, if not zero. Uh, so it makes sense that some problematic things can continue to creep through. But this is kind of semi-eternal Dude. formats in a nutshell, right? Like this just keeps happening because as the card pool gets larger, it's more and more likely there are problematic interactions.
0: So if if I were in WotC, right? And someone hands me Thassa's Oracle and they're like, hey, do you think this is busted in Pioneer with Inverter of Truths? I would have laughed at him. Sure. I would have sure. been like, "There's, there's no way that's a real deck." Yeah, no way. Surprise! And then you hand me, you hand me Underworld Breach, and I'm just like, "Why? Why would you do this? Who does this card serve? Who is this for? This card is dumb. It's only going to cause problems." So you know, I would, I would have won one. I would have lost one. What are you going to do? Flip a coin. Use a little data instead. You can't, you can't kill everything fun. But Thassa's Oracle, I do think is legit fun. I think it is a cool card, and. Underworld Breach is is not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm mostly there with you. Like there is space, I think, in standard for bad combos. Thousand Year Storm was an excellent magic card, not in terms of its yes. ability to be played, but as far as its existence. It was awesome. It's yeah. exactly what that type of deck should look like and how good that type of deck should be. But that's a really tough needle to thread. Definitely
0: create... Sideways strategies, just like weird things that people can do that basically amount to memes. Mm -hmm. And then someone will tune it within an inch of their life, get as close to tier 1.5 as possible, but ultimately fail. Those decks are rad. Like ultimately, you want to build fun and exciting looking cards so that people spend time trying to build around them and perfecting them. And if they end up not being good enough, yeah, cool. Just like let let people have fun, right? Make things that get them excited. Maybe not have them be Oko or whatever, or have them like Chronic Flooding, Tome Scour your entire deck and play every card out of your graveyard like Underworld Breach. Maybe that's not a good idea, but...
1: Yeah, it seems like the easiest safety valve is just to up mana costs. Like do these creative things at high mana costs and then it's hard for them to really get out of control. But when you start doing them at two mana... Things can go wrong pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Oh, give us data. Free the data. I I promise if you give me all the data, I will spit it in such a way that
1: it will make people want to play other decks. Guarantee it. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need an accord between Wizards And all the content creators who want data where we just basically sign up to be shills. And we promise that if you let us have all the data, we will only use it for good and to move the metagame forward.
0: I don't know, man. I also don't get why they're so gung-ho on streamers specifically when it is very rare for streamers to play like wild constructed decks, you know? It's like, "Oh, I'm going to pay these MPL players to stream Arena for 10 hours a week, and all they do is try and hit number 1 mythic."
1: Where would you have them invest those dollars instead? I mean, are you just saying you want them to diversify the streamers they support and look to people who engage with the game in a different way or
0: they they should they should be actively looking for people who are good deck builders and like build unique decks and be promoting the hell out of them. Best thing you could possibly do.
1: Yeah, the the deck building side of things is probably the best possible thing to emphasize.
0: I mean, if the if the problem is everyone focuses on what's good, we'll wave a fancy carrot in their face, right? Be like, oh look, look at this shiny deck over here. Go look over there.
1: Yeah. Look, that's part of what I have always tried to do in the game. I I get it. I like the appeal of pulling people in different directions, and I like finding success when I go in other directions. It means much more to me, those successes, than just practicing with default good deck. Uh, I think my responsibilities as a content creator have mostly pulled me away from that direction, but the engage... It's okay. I understand. I I, I like (laughs) all types of magic, so this isn't me bemoaning my situation. It's just, I will say the engagement I get from people when I have a novel idea versus the engagement when I share my thoughts on blue-white control, it's night and day. Do you know how many questions I answered about like nexus of gates? It was just constant. That's all people want to talk to me about because it was like a unique look and something interesting. And when you find those things, it's, it's worth a lot more. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's the thing you should be emphasizing a little bit more. I 100% agree. That's game. Good luck.